So, we're working our way through the uh, book of Acts, tonight, and, we, and this morning finished the ninth chapter. What we have seen in the book of Acts was the conversion of this man, Saul, who was an enemy of the gospel and of the church and of individual Christians and uh, responsible for uh, the death of many who was giving full approval to the, to the stoning of, uh, of uh, Stephen and sitting there collecting the cloaks of the ones throwing the rocks at him. Uh, and then he was on, his road, on the road to Damascus in order to bring the Christians back to Jerusalem for judgment when uh, he had a most unsettling experience. He came face to face with a man who had been dead and uh, was risen and alive and was speaking to him from glory. Uh, The Lord Jesus Christ intruded upon the life of Saul and uh, nothing was the same uh, following that. Uh, In the life of Saul, on the history of much of the world, So he was converted immediately upon his conversion uh, and regaining his sight. He had been blinded in his whole experience. You just don't look at glory without it doing something to your sight. And uh, uh, he began preaching, though, uh, there in Damascus. And pretty soon they were out after his hide. And the Christians got him out of there in a narrow escape, letting him down uh, in a basket over the wall. Uh, Derek Thomas said, and I'm sure he's not the only one, Saul had become a basket case. And uh, then three years later, he turns up in Jerusalem, returning finally, and uh, is given the cold shoulder by the church because they feared him and because they didn't believe his story. Uh, They didn't believe that he had been converted. They didn't believe he was a Christian. They didn't believe that they were safe around him. And then Barnabas did a kind thing. He went to Saul, talked to him, got his story, believed it, grabbed him by the arm and walked him over to see Peter and James. They believed the story, they believed in Saul, and they brought him to the rest of the church. And attitudes were changed, and they received him. And he went in and out among them there for two weeks. Uh, Shortly after being received, he began, uh, it says, dialoguing with uh, the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews. And uh, just as Stephen had been doing, that's an ironic thing, And uh, they wanted to do the same thing to Saul that they had done to Stephen, this time without Saul's approval. And they were going to stone him, and once again, he was rescued by the Christians and had a narrow escape. And we said that Barnabas' act of kindness, of Christian love, was also a great encouragement. You don't have to be, you know, a great psychiatrist to imagine uh, the mindset of, of Saul, of his emotions as he arrived in Jerusalem and as he was confronted both with the hatred of the Jews upon whom he turned his back and the distrust 
and dislike and fear of the Christians who didn't want him anywhere around. And then this one man comes to him, speaks with him, believes him, brings him, gives him entree into the presence of the apostles, speaks up for him to them, and wins his acceptance by the church. It was a good thing to do. It was a kind, loving, Christian thing to do on the part of Barnabas. But Barnabas's kind, good, encouraging act was far greater than he could ever imagine. We said last week that by it he unleashed the gospel of Jesus Christ upon the Gentile world and particularly the western, Gentile west of the, of, of the Middle East, uh, the western world and into Europe and eventually through Europe to you and me or most of us at least. And uh, we owe a lot to Barnabas uh, who, by whose work Paul wound up preaching to our great, 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 great ancestors. But after that second narrow escape, Paul sort of disappears for a while from the pages of the book of Acts. Uh, In fact, what he did was go back to Tarsus, his hometown, and he stayed there a while. Uh, I don't know that he laid low. There's just no report of what he was doing while he was there. My suspicion is he was engaging in Christian ministry of some sort, but Nobody knows. And into the gap returns Peter in gap in the book of Acts. Here comes Peter back again, front and center, uh, for the next couple of weeks anyway, next several weeks uh, anyway. This morning's sermon is, has the title, if I had had it when I had the bulletins done, it would be in there, but the title is Doing Jesus' Work. Because that's what Peter was doing. That's what Paul was doing. Uh, It's called that to remind us that the book of Acts could just as easily be called the book of the Acts of God in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit through the apostles, especially Peter and Paul. So what we're, what we're looking at is, is simply the continuation of the ministry of Jesus Christ into the first century, into the world. And then we might say that we are part of today. That said, hear now the word of God. Acts chapter 9, verse 32. If you have your Bible... Look at it there. If not, your tablet or your phone. Or has lost last resort, you can find it, put it in your bulletin. And, and, uh, but read along with me, if you will. Now, as Peter, well, let me back up and say one last thing. The aftermath of Paul's time in Jerusalem summed up in verse 21. So the church, uh, 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Things were going well in the Jerusalem church now. Uh, they got Saul out of town and, and, and everything had calmed down. 
And so Peter could leave and, and not stay just in the city of Jerusalem and tend to the church there, but he could go out into the surrounding areas, which he, uh, we'll read about. He did. Uh, verse 32. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. If you headed almost due west from Jerusalem, went downhill from Jerusalem, uh, towards the uh, coast of the Mediterranean. You'd get to Lydda, and then when you got to Lydda, if you hung a sort of a, a turn to the right, but not a 90-degree turn to the right, about a 45-degree turn, you would wind up probably at Joppa or near Joppa on the coast, which is that place, remember, that uh, uh, Jonah fled to and took a boat and got into all his trouble. But anyway, that's where he went towards the, the, the uh, coast. Um, and there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon, and that's the, the out skirt area of, of Lydda, uh, sort of like East Baton Rouge, Paris to Baton Rouge, if you will, or whatever. Uh, all of them saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since little was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. By the way, that last verse, that final verse, isn't all that important to us this morning. Uh, it will be next week. So kind of remember that I, I read that. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for what it reveals to us of you and your dealings with us and of uh, what our response ought to be to that gracious dealing for the love that you have lavished on us in the Lord Jesus Christ, even to the point that we should be called children of God, and in fact we are. Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us minds and hearts to receive and to embrace and wills to act upon your word this morning. For Jesus' sake, amen. I can't believe it's been this long ago. Uh, 
My wife is probably not going to believe that I'm saying it. But it's about 54 years ago. I was thinking on the way over here. I bought her a hope chest. Do we still buy? Are there hope chests still? Uh, yeah, there's a cedar chest to put stuff in for when we got married, which was yet to come. But, uh, and I don't remember if that was a precursor to the engagement ring or if the engagement ring came and then came the hope chest. But anyway, in that period of uh, moving toward marriage, uh, we went into New Orleans, on the North Shore, we went into New Orleans, and went to a furniture store that stood on the corner of North Rampart and whatever the street is on the floor, into what is now Louis uh, Armstrong Park. I guess it's called part of Louis Armstrong Park. It was an old family-run furniture store, selling uh, midline and lower lines of furniture. Uh, we went there because the only thing, the thing I did know about it was that they sell a lane to chest, and that seemed to be like a good place to go to take your fiancé or fiancé-to-be get a whole chest, all that stuff. So we did. That was all. It is a one kind of place where you go in and you can buy, you know, living room furniture and pay for it, you know, so much down and so much a week from forever. And it's been there for a long time. It was there for a But later, the property was sold, I guess, in the Louis Armstrong Park. And they lost, you know, their building. They sold their building. They had a lot of money. And so they moved into another building, which was, was not in that immediate area where they had been. Uh, it was in, on the other side of the house. And so to bring, and, and, and they sort of upgraded back then, really And, uh, and they, they put on an advertising campaign that was tremendous. It won, you know, I was at the ad club at the time, and, and we gave every award we could give them. And, and, but they won all kinds of national awards for print and media advertising. It was tremendous. Beautiful, magnificent ads. The commercial, everything was perfectly done. It was the best to this day I have ever seen. And in two years, they closed those doors. In advertising, it's not the artistic. It's not the, you know, the art. It's the effect. It's the results. Uh, so I'd like to say that here in this text, we see three signs that are effective in pointing out and showing the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The sheer power of God at work. As we look at those three signs, what I want you to uh, what I want you to take away is this. First is as Peter can, 
continued Jesus' ministry in Lydda and Joppa. People came to faith. And the second thing is the point. As we manifest Jesus' presence to the world around us, he'll draw others to himself. So let's talk about Peter's uh, continuation of Jesus' ministry. He, He continued Jesus' ministry of miracles. He healed the lame and he raised the dead, didn't he? Just like Jesus. Jesus did the same thing. And in so doing, he proved himself to be an apostle of Jesus. The miracles that the apostles did were done as signs to point to Jesus, to the gospel, to hope, to life, but also to attest to the authority of those self-same apostles that they indeed were, as their name implied, sent by another with authority and with power. He did all this in four ways. First of all, he ministered in Jesus' name and power. You see it in raising Aeneas. Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Take your bed. Get up. Second, he ministered after Jesus' example to the paralytic. Rise. Take up your bed. That's what Jesus said to that man they lowered down through the hole in the roof. Peter echoes those words. Or to Jairus' daughter, remember when Jesus went and, and raised her from the dead by saying, Child, arise. So Peter says, Tabitha, arise. And up she came. Third, he ministered to Jesus' glory. There's little glory here for Peter. It went instead to Jesus, just as Jesus had taught his followers. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Just like Jesus did. Remember when Jesus was almost to the end of his earthly ministry, he prays to his Father. And among the things he says to the Father in the opening of that prayer is, I glorified your name on earth. Which ought to be your and my goal in this life. And fourth, he ministered Jesus' salvation. The same command to each. To Aeneas and to Dorcas. Single Greek word. We translate it, arise. Arise. It's the very same word the Bible uses for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For God's raising Jesus from the dead. It's a powerful word. It's a powerful word. So Paul could write, you were dead in your trespass and sin. But God did something. He raised us to new life and seated us in the heavenlies heavenlies in Christ Jesus. He gave us resurrection life. We're new creatures in Christ we have eternal life not only continuity of life but quality of life where we have eternal life now everything is new everything is changed it's raised from the dead there's life 
that we enjoy it by his grace. Peter went about ministering that life. So we come to a question. Is the way Peter did it the way then that you and I should do it? Is this how we should continue in the 21st century in the Western world, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, or wherever in the Western Highlands? Is this how we should continue Jesus' work? And the answer is a solid yes and no. (laughs) Should we go about it in his name? Of course. After his example, of course. For his glory, yes. Ministering his salvation, yes. Exercising our gifts of healings and resuscitation. Uh, Note this. Whatever your answer is to that last question. Note this. Wherever the gospel of Jesus Christ goes... And this is true throughout its history. Medical ministry has followed. Whatever shape it took. Whatever it looked like. Where did hospitals come from? But they rose up out of the Christian faith. The gospel is always tied to healing. Spiritual healing. Emotional healing physical healing. I don't have the gift of healing. I don't know anyone who does. I know people in this room who are trained in the healing arts. They're doctors, a couple of them at least I see. They're nurses, others that are involved in that, the healing profession and in the healing arts, but I don't know anybody that can walk in. I don't think, I'm not going to call on y'all. I don't think that, I don't know a doctor that will walk into a hospital room and say, so-and-so, Jesus Christ healed you, and expect them to get up and walk out. Man been paralyzed eight years. Peter says, Jesus Christ healed you. but we do it through doctors and medicine normally. Kate and Claire and Amy are going to Haiti. They're bringing supplies. Now they're not going in medicine. You're not going as medical missionaries, but you're bringing stuff, aren't you? Healing stuff and healing hope. It doesn't come in little tubes in the package. It comes in packages, but they look like Claire and Kate and Amy. We support Peru Mission. Well, a big part of that mission is clinics, medical clinics, where they do great work. Some of you have gone to uh, Belize with Dr. Joe. 
Scott's dad and the dental ministry down there. And, and on and on it goes. I said I don't have healing gifts. I proved that one night when my dad was kind of in bad shape. had had some surgery. My stepmother was just exhausted from watching him. And so I no problem. I'll watch dad. And she left. And I watched him through the night. And I'm happy to say he lived through the night. Absolutely no thanks Sun came up and uh, the ship was changing, you know, the nurses and everybody. And the dad looked at me and uh, he said, Son, thank you. But don't ever do this again. I don't think I can do it. You know. But yet we ought to do what we can do, should we not, to minister to those who suffer. Our ministry will look different from Peter's and from Paul's in some regards, but at the heart it ought to be the same. So rather than look at Peter, perhaps we ought to look at Dorcas. Might be a better example for us to follow. Something more doable, if you will. My grandmother, my grandma Rossi, uh, and Dorcas whole lot alike. It's had an awful lot of things in, in common. Uh, you know that Dorcas is the Greek word. Tabitha is the uh, uh, other word. Aramaic. Thank you. Uh, and uh, But what they mean is gazelle. And, and picture a gazelle. One of the most beautiful, graceful animals there is. She was apparently a graceful woman. My grandmother was the same way. She was visiting us when we were in seminary. I was in my early 30s. Uh, she, was, uh, she was 90 at the time. And uh, I won't go through it all. Anyway, she was there. I bent over and picked up a piece of paper off the floor, and I groaned a little bit as I did it. She run it, and I picked it up, and she said, What are you doing? She said, You are not groaning like that. You're a young man. I said, Now, if you would do this every morning 10 times, Pretty soon you wouldn't do that. And she stood there and she put her hands up in the air like this. And she bent over and laid the flat on the floor. And she did that ten times. And uh, I have not done that. I did not take her counsel. Uh, I can bend over and touch my knees on a good day. But that was just the way she was. But also the way she was was that if there was somebody that needed something they came to her in her end of the whole parish in which we lived. She, after World War II, I mean, I can remember this vaguely, but I can remember her taking people. She had a car. Most people out in that end of the parish didn't. Uh, they might have a tractor. They might have an old truck. But people that need to go to New Orleans, you, you rode the bus, but they may not have had money to ride the bus, and the schedule may not have been right. So my grandmother, in her 1941 Dodge, would drive people into New Orleans for medical appointments, to the hospital, home from the hospital, job interviews, you name it. Uh, she was public transportation for that part of the parish. Men came back from World War II, and a little bit from Korea, but particularly from World War II. And they needed to go, most of them going to New Orleans for job interviews. She would take them, load up her car and take them down there. Some of them needed a suit. 
to go for a particular interview. Nobody in that English think they perished in the city <laughs> in 1946. And so she had driven them to come to, or to, or to, or to Bogalus, finance because uh, she must have been any money either. And uh, just on and on. She had stayed, sit up with people and the sick people and everything, and it just goes on and on. Linda and I picked her up one time in Bogalus, and we were coming that way for something going our way home. And we were going to see her, but she was in Bogalus, so we picked her up there to take her to her home, and we visited in her car. She was staying with this lady. And uh, I just, as a friend, she knew the lady's daughter. The lady's daughter had polio and, and was so lucky, you know, had some things she just couldn't do. And so her brother did things she couldn't do, and between the two of them, they took care of her mother. <coughs> but after about three weeks, that Rocky had come home and she was to be there. So we picked her up and had her all the way home. She was talking about poor old lady. Whatever it is. Poor old lady. I just don't think old lady, you know, is going to be able to do such. A, so, and about the fourth time she said, old lady, so and so. I said, come on, How old is old lady so and so? Oh, she must be 75. My grandmother was 87 years old <laughs> at that time. I mean, that's just the way she was born. She was doing good, doing good, doing good. She and Jesus and Dorcas went about doing good. You know, uh, Dorcas didn't do monumental things. She did what she could. My grandmother didn't do any monumental things in the kingdom. She, she did what she could. So we read about Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. What an epitaph. Had Peter not raised her from the dead, that should have been put on her tombstone. We Protestants of the Reformation, you know, because of our belief in the, justi- in the doctrine of justification by faith, and we add the word alone, uh, sometimes we question the role of works, uh, of, of the need of works, of the necessity at all. Uh, well, that's nonsense. The Bible clearly teaches that our response to the gospel is first of all faith, and out of that faith comes what? Love, working up a storm, Paul says. James says, what good is, is it, my brother, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? A brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It doesn't mean we're saved by those works. It means that the natural response to being saved by grace is good works. Dorcas could not heal the lame. She couldn't raise the dead. But you know what she could do? She could help the cold keep warm. And all the widows stood beside Peter, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. Now, if that one thing was a blessed, uh, whatever you put on, on the stove, on the uh, stone, 
What a blessed eulogy this is to be able to stand up and say, look, here's the evidence of the goodness of this person that's lying there. What I'm saying is the gospel is is basically, essentially, needs-oriented. God saw our need. We were dead in trespass and sin and unable to raise ourselves up, unable to do anything. Dead people don't do things, they just lie there. But God raised us up. He did what only he could do. He sent his son into the world and to the cross and to the grave. And he raised him up all for us. You can't save anybody. You can't save yourself. I can't save anyone. I can't save myself. But we don't have to. Jesus handled that at Calvary. You and I, on the other hand, need to do what we can in response to what God did in the Lord Jesus Christ. All of which brings me finally back to the point. As you and I manifest Jesus' presence to the world around us, whatever part of the world that might be, He'll draw others to himself. I spoke of three effective signs pointing to the power of the gospel. Each is miraculous. There's a healing. There's a resuscitation. And it was a resuscitation. You understand that Dorcas would die again. It wasn't a true resurrection. She would have to die all over. But these signs and wonders point to the power of God and they, they're called wonders because they inspire awe in other people. But there's even something more powerful than those signs and wonders. God's love manifested through a Christian's life. Go back over your own testimony of coming to faith in Christ. I'm talking to Christians. Look back over it. What caught your attention? What either drew you to Christ or confirmed the gospel to you? I'm willing to bet for the majority of us, it was someone through whose life the love of Jesus Christ shone. And it was irresistible, wasn't it? I can withstand your arguments. There was a period in my life when for some reason I attracted people with tracts and little books and arguments for the deity of Jesus and for what he did on the cross. And I And then somebody loved me. There was no good reason. He just loved me. 
You've been in, Joe's been in me crazy. I've talked about it before. And it made me remember my grandmother. And I love her the same. And to remember what it was that drove her. That I had pretty well blotted out. There's a lot that you and I can't do. But we're not called to do that. We're called to do what we can do. And by doing it to show Jesus' love, His compassion, His goodness, His grace to someone who needs to see it. And that's the seventh. All for Jesus. All for Jesus. All my being's ransomed powers. All for Jesus. All for Jesus. All my days. And all my days.